thank you so much. Um, well, my name is Matt Hatch. I uh, lead this North Gathering and lead the team that leads Mosaic. Uh, my privilege to be continuing this series on the parables. Last week, if you missed it, we looked at our vision across the church, and I'd really encourage you to sort of listen to that online if you missed it. But one of the things that I talked about is us becoming a church that grows in our sort of sense of encountering God, knowing his presence, uh, connecting with his love, growing in our spiritual gifts. And there's just been like a hunger and sense of devotion and worship when we gather. And what's beautiful is the passage that we're looking at this morning gives us help in how we're going to get there. Uh, especially if you feel from time to time a little bit unfocused or you lack passion for God or you just feel sort of caught up in life and God feels distant, this passage is going to help us this morning. So if you've got a Bible, could you turn to Luke chapter 7? We're going to look at verses 36 through to 50. If you do have it on your phone or in front of you, it will be really helpful because we're going to work our way through line by line. And Jeremy's going to come up and he's going to read this to us and it's going to be on your screen as well. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who'd invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But for whoever who has been forgiven little, loves little. Okay, let's, uh, let me just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, the incredible way that you use the Bible to speak into our hearts and reveal Jesus to us. And uh, each one of us just want to say yes and amen to that today. We want to hear from you. We want a, a greater picture of Jesus. And we want to know what it is to live in light of what we have heard today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So this story um, revolves around Jesus being invited to a Pharisee's house. They were the relig religious leaders of the day. Some were good, some were bad. 
But they were all looking at Jesus, wondering or not whether he was the promised Jewish Messiah. So verse 36 tells us, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So I want you to imagine the scene, um, the, the guests uh, including Jesus, would have um, gathered in a, a quite a large room that would have had a, a very low table uh, on, uh, in the center. There was no chairs, and you would literally, um, it's hard to describe, but you would literally like prop yourself up like this at the table. And so the food would be directly at front, in front of you, and your feet would be sort of sticking out to the edges of the room. Um, now, we're told the house belongs to Simon, uh, which means he was the host. And in those days, the host would, at minimum, give you a little bit of water to wash your feet in. Your feet would have been dusty as you entered the home. I've actually been to someone's house who uh, had uh, spare slippers for anyone who sort of came to the house. And I just felt so welcome there. I didn't want to think about how many other people had worn the slippers, but the thought was amazing. But it seems like Simon wanted to just withhold his honoring of Jesus until he had made his mind up as to who he is. But then an uninvited guest turns up in the same room. Verse 37, a woman uh, in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So a woman who had a a very poor reputation in the town, uh, she was infamous, for the way she lived her life, enters the room. And you're not to think of like a, a middle-class dinner party with a random homeless person sort of sat in the corner. Rather, in those days, the rich would just have their doors open. And so the poor were always present on sort of the outskirts of the room and they would feed on the scraps or the leftovers once the proper guests had finished. And it seems like this woman had met with Jesus before And she wants to see him again. And on hearing he's at Simon's house, she goes with this large jar of perfume. Verse 38. As she stood behind him, so I want you to picture Jesus is reclining at the table, feet sticking out. She's, amongst others, are on the outside of the room. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and perfumed poured perfume on them. So this woman is so overcome with the presence of Jesus that she starts to cry, she starts to weep as she kneels behind him and her tears just flow and flow onto his feet and she wipes them with her hair, she kisses the feet, she performs the welcome that the host never gave and then she takes her perfume and pours it over the clean feet. And what's incredible is Jesus lets her And it was absolutely scandalous for him to let her do that. Tim Costello, who's an author, uh, he writes about how he was looking at this very same story with a group of drug addicts and prostitutes in Melbourne uh, in Australia. And one of the prostitutes said this uh, as he told the story. She said, Jesus must have been a really great bloke. She could imagine what it was like for this woman. She thought about the formal evenings at the big houses in the posh suburbs of Melbourne. She thought about gate-crashing herself, one of those parties, how she would be treated, what others would think. 
She could understand what it cost this woman to anoint the feet of Jesus. She could imagine the repulsion directed towards her by the other guests. She could hear the muttering. She could see the glares. She could feel the threat of violence. She could understand how much this woman must have loved Jesus. And I love this passage because it gives us a picture of worship and thankfulness and overwhelming devotion. And that is the thing that I'd like us to grow in as a church. But you also need to know that this woman was breaking all the rules. Women were not to let their hair down in public. They shouldn't be touching a rabbi. Such emotion in those days was just totally inappropriate. However, Simon, he wasn't impressed at all. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man was a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. And that she is a sinner. And this very act of Jesus proves to the woman that Jesus is a prophet of God. Is the very thing that Simon takes as proof that Jesus cannot be a prophet. Simon thought Jesus might be this promised prophet, this promised Messiah, until he accepts this woman. Meanwhile, the woman comes to Jesus because she believes his presence signals the presence of God and God's grace and God's mercy. Simon rejects God's plan because the plan includes people that Simon wants to exclude. Simon wrongly concludes that Jesus must not know what kind of woman was this, this was. And in truth, Jesus not only knew her deeds, but he forgave them. And on top of that, Jesus also knows and exposes what kind of man Simon is. Simon, um, Simon thinks certain things about himself that he did not or would not admit. This line in this passage is not between sinners and the righteous as Simon would want us to think about it. Rather, the line is between sinners who know and admit that they are sinners, like the woman, and sinners who continue on in arrogance and willful blindness to their sinfulness, like Simon. And I guess for me, as I read this passage, it provokes me and it makes me want to ask, have I forgotten that this is how the kingdom of God works? Some of our lack of love might be because we have become proud comparing our behavior only to people that we think are worse than us. Or our relationship with God is so based on performance, so as soon as we're not doing very well, we're not having much devotional time, we immediately feel a long way from God. Or perhaps it's been a long time since we truly acknowledge that we need God. And so we're doing life in our own strength and power. Maybe we're saying the right things, but deep down there's like an independence or there's just a re reliance on our own strength. And there's no humility, there's no brokenness. You know, I feel that that posture with regard to God and with, with regard to others is deeply connected to how we're going to grow in that sense of encounter and worship as a church family. Some of you have heard of this lady. She's called Jackie Pullinger. And she spent about 30 years or so in Hong Kong working along, alongside drug addicts. And um, she understands the connection that I'm talking about between brokenness and love for God and others. And she says this. Just want to read from a story she told. 
She says, I remember an incident after I'd been in Hong Kong for a very short time. Walking down a street in the walled city, I met a young boy who looked like a skeleton. He was so famished that he just sort of staggered around the streets. I didn't know anything about drug addicts in those days. He just looked sick. I stopped somebody and asked them to write out in Chinese the name of a doctor. I gave Xi'an the note and told him that I would go, I would pay for the doctor. But he never went. And later I got somebody to write that I would meet him the next day at 10 o'clock. He obviously was hungry, but he never came. But very slowly, after a few years, I won Xi'an's trust. I found out that he'd been a heroin addict since he was nine years old. He was then about 15, and he slept on the streets, and I persuaded him to go to the drug center, and I found a pastor who would take him there to help him come off the drugs. And when it was time for him to be admitted, I got up really early, went out and brought him a new swimsuit, an underclothes, T-shirt, towel, and finally two hours late, he arrived, and I got him to the pastor. And then I went home and I slept for 24 hours. I was emotionally and physically exhausted. The strain of ministry had been enormous. I was so relieved that this pastor had taken on Xi'an. He would get off drugs. He would learn more about the Lord. My responsibilities were over. Jackie, I'm really sorry. And I could hear panic in my pastor's friend's voice. His early morning call woke me. Xi'an has run away from the center. I felt this wave of nausea run uh, over my body and sweep over my stomach. The pastor went on to say, not only has he run away from the center, but he's stolen some money. We've chased him and tried to persuade him to come back, but he won't. Jackie Pullinger says, I felt dead. Well, God, there you are. That's it. This isn't that I don't want to go on. I just can't. I've used up all my heart on Xi'an. And I thought then that when my heart was used up, there wasn't any more. So I got on the bus, just about to go to my language lesson, and I found myself staring at another young drug addict. I turned away and said, God, enough is enough. My heart is too small. I've used up what little I had, and I've got no more to give. And it was then that God taught me a profound lesson about ministry to the poor. When your heart is broken over one of his children, he gives you his. When he gives you his heart, you can start to love again. And the only way a heart gets bigger and has more room for God's love is by being broken. If you've never been broken or sorrowful or weak, then you only have good advice to give. But if you've known what it is to be bereft and to have nothing and no one but Christ Jesus for comfort, then how rich you are. Then you have something to offer those who are poor like you were. Nobody else can do that. That's why only when you've tasted those depths are you able to minister to those in the depths. Jesus called Peter the rock precisely because Peter had failed so miserably. Jesus didn't need this leader who was strong, pretending to be humble and weak. He needed a leader who could say, I blew it. And because I blew it, he came to me, he forgave me, he lifted me up and now uses me despite the fact that I failed. It's colossal, crushing failure that was the crucible to transform Peter the weak into Peter the rock. 
our involvement must begin with this profound sense of God's grace to me. It's not enough for me to feel God's grace for them. I must feel that God is gracious to me. I need this profound sense of my own brokenness, my own need for God, my own horrible, ugly, sinful heart. I need it to be melted and broken by God's grace to me. Otherwise, all my good intentions, they're just patronizing. Anything I, will be, uh, anything I say will be heard as become more like me. Brokenness is the crucible for worship and encounter to deepen. Brokenness isn't about, woe is me, I'm just so awful. Brokenness is not even an emotion. It's not about being morbidly introspective. But brokenness is a decision to admit your need for God. And it works against pride. And it's this humble posture before God. And I want to ask you, is that your posture this morning? Are you willing to... Allow God to break you, for him to fill your heart afresh so that you can truly love him and love others. So our question is, why did this woman get to worship like this? And what went wrong in Simon's heart that he was just the one who judged? Well, when Simon condemns Jesus, Jesus responds not by defending his actions, but by explaining hers. He says this in verse 41. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. So the principle is really, really simple. If someone forgives you, you will love them. And if someone forgives you a lot, you will love them a lot. Even Simon concedes this and can see this. And this woman clearly loves Jesus a lot. Her audacity, her tears, her affection for Jesus make it really clear. And this woman embodies worship that is so pure and free and wholehearted. I want us to grow in this. Clearly, the parable is just reminding us to connect with how undeserving we are and how far we are from God so that we see how far God reaches out to us. And I've got, if you like, the pattern that almost she engages with and I think we engage with. And this is a pattern for coming to know God, but also it's a pattern for doing your whole life. So firstly, she is obviously, we don't know when or where, but she is welcomed by Jesus. And as she is welcomed by Jesus, there is clearly faith and repentance in her heart. And so she experiences forgiveness from God. And that forgiveness, because she knows she has so much to be forgiven, uh, leads to incredible love and worship poured out from her heart to Jesus, which Jesus himself welcomes as she does that at Simon's house. And so the cycle begins again. And this is our story. This is how we become Christians. It's how we're meant to live as Christians. If you want to grow in love and encounter, this is the pattern to follow. Jesus welcomes us and invites us at the cross it's at the cross he dies on our behalf and looks for our response. 
then beautifully we're told in the Bible, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So as you respond to that invitation, um, forgiveness flows from the cross. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And as you experience grace and love and forgiveness, joy and worship flow. Psalm 116 says, the lo- I love the Lord for he heard my voice, he heard my cry for mercy. And as you worship God, God welcomes your worship and you are freshly amazed at who he is. And that's the pattern that we see in this story and that's the pattern that I'm appealing to you to engage with in life. There's this really beautiful scene, if you've read The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, when Edmund uh, has betrayed Aslan and his own family. And his betrayal, we find out, would lead to Aslan's death. But in his great sorrow, Aslan restores him. He forgives him and leads him back to his family. In the book, you find this moment where Aslan and Edmund are alone for a moment. And then as they come back to the family, Aslan says, here is your brother. And there's no need to talk about what happened in the past. And Edmund shook hands with each of the others and said to each of them in turn, I'm sorry. And everyone said, that's all right. And then everyone wanted very hard to say something which would make it quite clear that they were all friends with him again. Something ordinary and natural. And of course, no one could think of anything in the world to say. And that's what happened to this woman. He who has been forgiven much will love much. So listen, here's the question. If you're sat here this morning and you don't feel a deep resonance with this woman, Because when you think of your life, it's not like the woman who was probably a prostitute. You haven't got this great rock and roll story of life before you became a Christian, this huge contrast in your life. And so you look at this and think, I'm not sure I have much to forgive. Or I don't connect with this story because I haven't, there's not been such a big transformation. What do you do? Does everyone know what I'm asking here? Sort of, yeah. There's a couple of things that I'd encourage you to think about. Number one, very obviously, everyone needs grace. In the parable, whether the person owed 10 or 100, both couldn't pay. So you might be a 100 person in the room, you might be a 10 person in the, pay, in, in the room. You both can't pay. But listen, there is always something that we're in debt for or thankful for that is specific to our lives. There is always something that's unique to your life that you know from your story Jesus has done a miracle in. Jesus has done something particular in your life. For me, uh, my stepfather was just incredibly hurtful to me growing up, which meant that um, I retreated and the rejection that I felt at home just led to a whole host of fears of other people but when I became a Christian I discovered God the father who was not like my stepdad and I can't believe that I I have this relationship father-son relationship that more than makes up for the brokenness that I experienced at home and when I think about where I would be unless God had entered my world and where I think where I would be in regard to 
being a son who knows what it is to be loved unconditionally by a heavenly father. And I think about, I've got three children and how I'd behave towards them if I hadn't experienced that unconditional love myself. Then I've got something specific that God has done in my life that I'm incredibly thankful for. There was this uh, scar or wound in my life because of my story that only God could fix. And that particular bit of my story, I connect with the woman in this parable. And so perhaps for you it's broken relationships. And since you've become a Christian, you now have family or friends that you never thought you had. Perhaps for you it's anxiety. And you know that the peace you need only comes from God. Perhaps it's fear. And in Jesus, you've discovered this unshakable love. Perhaps you've been abused. And in Christ, you've received unconditional acceptance and hope for future justice. Think of the specific grace that you've received. That helps you to be a worshipper when you think, what specifically has God done for me? And secondly... Not only do we all need grace, but the difference is less about how awful we are, but more about how amazing he is. So imagine your life is like a jug. And imagine in this room there was all jugs that represented your life. Some jugs will just have a couple of chips in them. And it might be that, you know, for you, you just had a pretty, just, you know, life hasn't been too hard on you. Whereas others of you... The jug has been completely smashed, maybe many times, and it's been glued and pieced back together, and you've got all these cracks in it. We've all got uh, different lives representing different jugs. Clearly, the jug that has been completely restored will feel, feel more thankful for being mended and more excitement about being used again. That, that's what the parable is telling us. But listen, if Jesus is the water that goes into the jug, whether broken or not, the water is the most sweetest, purest, perfect water that you'll ever experience. In fact, Jesus is infinitely wise and good and satisfying and accepting. And you have your whole lifetime ahead of you exploring his goodness and his magnificence. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more you forget about yourself and the more you want the water. More, more you want the relationship with him. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of the universe. He's your brother. He's your savior. He's your Lord. He's your warrior. He's your victor. And so actually, as you go deeper into this, it, you, you think less about yourself and more about him. So I hope you hear this morning the link between our sin and passion for God is humility and brokenness, connecting with how great God is. But I want to finish with this. There's a warning in the parable. Simon hasn't even shown the normal courtesies of a host to Jesus, and he's despised this poor woman. He hasn't shown love. The only conclusion can be that he has been forgiven little, or probably not at all. Simon decides Jesus can't be a prophet because Jesus can't see what kind of woman she is. Jesus doesn't seem to have the God-given insight to see the true character of this sinful woman, but Simon is in for a shock. Jesus can see what kind of woman this is, and he acknowledges that her sins are many. And more than that, Jesus can see into Simon's heart and knows what he's thinking. 
But the real shock, Jesus sees the heart of the woman and he sees the heart of Simon and he's more disgusted with what he sees in Simon's heart than by what he sees in the woman's heart. Simon's attitude to this woman exposes his own heart. The real difference between Simon and the woman is not just how they view Jesus, it's also how they view themselves. Simon has no sense of forgiveness because he has no sense of need. And so he shows no kindness to Jesus, not even the common courtesies of a host. Simon does not give Jesus any water, he does not give him a kiss, doesn't put oil on his head. So Simon in the story is the host who isn't really a host. Just look at the passage again. Instead, the woman is the host who's not even a guest. She's the gate crasher. Jesus sets up a series of contrasts between the hospitality of Simon and the hospitality of the sinful woman. You did not give me any water for my feet, speaking to Simon, but she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. She is the only one who's been a host to Jesus, not Simon. She is the one who has welcomed Jesus. And it's not even her house. Jesus says, do you see this woman? And, you know, I think we can safely assume Simon has noticed this woman. But Jesus is contrasting this woman with this, with your house. I'm in your house. She has been my host. And what the warning does is this. It says nearness to Jesus, even eating with Jesus at his table, cannot guarantee salvation apart from a response like the contrite faith of the woman. And that's the irony in the story. The one who initially shows his interest in Jesus misses out on his forgiveness while an uninvited guest finds forgiveness. Simon was sitting at his own dinner table with the Son of God and yet misses him. And that's the warning that's in the passage. It means, too, that whenever we look down on someone for being disorganized or smelly or lazy or over-emotional or promiscuous or socially inept or bitter, then we are being like Simon. I invite you to imagine in those moments when you are judging someone else Jesus is sitting next to you, reading your heart and being displeased by what he sees. It also means that we look down on people for not understanding grace, for not doing grace, for not being loving. And in the same way, we are being like graceless Simon. It means if you're thinking at this moment about how this story applies to someone else, then you are like Simon. Jesus says to us, you look down on others, you love little, because you understand so little of your sin and so little of my grace. Sobering stuff, isn't it? So listen, we want to be a church that absolutely thrives in encounter and worship and hunger for God. And Jesus tells this story to highlight how... uh, to and how not to do this the woman 
aware of her need and brokenness and forgiveness, is a worshipper. Whereas Simon the host judges both the woman and Jesus incorrectly and therefore misses Jesus altogether. Who do you want to be like this morning? Whose example are you going to follow? And if you are sat there struggling to love God because you don't connect with the deep sinfulness of the woman, then you need to remind yourself that everyone needs grace and there has been specific grace applied to your life because of your story. Celebrate that this morning. And if you can't do that, the difference is less about how awful we are, but more about how amazing he is. Broken jugs, chip jugs, the important thing is the water of Jesus gets poured into our lives and we have a lifetime of knowing and going deeper into the goodness that he brings us. I feel like everyone's very quiet this morning. I don't know how you're feeling. I know for me it's a very, very challenging message, isn't it? There's a, a real sense in which I'm not looking for you almost to be really introspective and down at this point. That's not what brokenness is. Brokenness um, is actually a joy because you see how dark things are and how light he is and how the light overcomes your darkness. And so I'd like us to do that together. Hannah is going to lead us in worship and I'd love us just to have some time to pour out our gratefulness and thankfulness for the grace that's been shown us. Do you want to stand to your feet? We don't often do this, so I know I've just asked you all to stand, um, but sometimes your posture reflects what's going on in your heart, and, and I want to start by just sort of leading us in a prayer of confession, and it might be you just want to bow your heads in this moment, it might be you want to kneel, it might be that you want to just be in a posture that reflects what you feel the Holy Spirit is doing in these moments. So just feel what you, if you want to start. Not a problem. Um. Heavenly Father, thank you your word is like a sword that sort of cuts through all that we present on the outside and goes right to the heart. And um, Lord, we don't want to be like Simon in the story judging others too proud thinking we've got it all sussed but we want to be like this woman and we want to say we're so sorry Lord for the sinfulness in our hearts and we're so sorry for the many ways that we ignore you and ignore others and we're so sorry for when we miss you when you're sat at our dinner table but your word says, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just. And he forgives our sin and cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. And so in these moments, Lord, we just cry to you for your forgiveness and mercy and grace. Let it be a waterfall that covers every part of our soul. Let it cover every part of our lives and let it let it flow in a way that brings joy and life and let that be a pattern for our lives Lord in our brokenness would you be 
magnified and glorified. Lord, would we be a worshipping people because we carry around just how great the work that you've done in our lives it truly is. So Holy Spirit, have your way in this time. Release worship and praise and joy. We come to you with clean hands and pure hearts because of all that Jesus has done.